So the best thing that we can do to deal with uncertainty is to create agility and to create flexibility because that allows us to have a large suite of tools from a lot of different pockets of the grid to flex up and down based on what that grid actually needs in real time. Welcome to The Jolt. It's the 1st of February. I'm your host, Kira Taylor. Later, we'll look at how the Texan grid has been improved to weather winters following a devastating outage in 2021. First, let's take a look at the top climate and energy stories from around the world today. There's a new climate envoy on the block. Senior White House advisor John Podesta is set to take over from US climate envoy John Kerry. Alongside the role, he will continue to oversee the team tasked with implementing the Inflation Reduction Act, according to a White House official quoted by NBC. Also in the US, the country's energy department is investing up to $30 million in developing a circular electric vehicle battery supply chain. It aims at advancing next generation technologies, maximizing lifetime and reducing production and operating costs. It also aims to boost the domestic supply chain in a time of increasing competition around clean technology. Sticking with protecting domestic markets, the Australian government is putting 200 million Australian dollars towards future-proofing regional steel manufacturing. The grant funding aims to deliver the energy transition and ensure Aussie producers can compete on the world stage. The first round of funding will support two companies with projects in New South Wales and South Australia as they look to green production. For more on the complex world of decarbonising steel, listen to Sam's Monday episode of The Jolt. Qatar Energy has announced $6 billion worth of contracts to increase oil production in the Al Shaheen oil field. The field is among the world's largest in terms of oil in place. The investment should increase production by around 100,000 barrels per day and is part of the third phase of developing the field following a joint venture between Qatar Energy and Total Energies in 2017. Altogether, the third phase should deliver more than 550 million barrels of oil over five years, with the first expected in 2027. And Qatar is not the only one looking for more oil. The UK government has handed out 24 oil and gas licences for the North Sea. These will help to ensure job security and provide benefits to the local and wider economy, according to the North Sea Transition Authority. It follows 27 licences allocated last October, and more are expected in the coming months. Not everyone is happy though. The Guardian quotes Tessa Khan, the executive director of Campaign Against Fossil Fuels Uplift, saying the UK government is selling a pipe dream and that new licences will do very little for energy security and lowering energy bills. Namibia also has its eye on fossil fuels. In an article published by the African Energy Chamber, the country's Minister of Mines and Energy, Tom Alwindo, says oil and gas are key for Africa. He explains that despite the global push for a quick transition to renewables, the immediate benefits for his country and many other African nations are still predominantly in oil and gas. This includes reducing energy poverty and boosting economies. The immediate shift to renewables pushed at COP28 is impractical and overly idealistic, he argues. Efforts to stop new fossil investments are also leading to issues securing project finance, he adds. Namibia has introduced reforms to reduce investor risk, and has awarded offshore oil and gas discoveries to Shell, Total Energy and Qatar Energy. 2023 was the warmest year globally and third warmest in the Western Pacific region. That's according to a new report by the Secretariat of the Pacific Regional Environment Programme. August, September, October and December 
were all hotter than their corresponding months in all previous years. The five warmest years on record in the region have all been in the last decade. That's it for the news today, now on to the story of the moment. In February 2021, Texas was hit by an extreme winter storm that overwhelmed its energy system. Outages left thousands without power for several days, and over 200 people died. Three years on, Texas has once again weathered a winter storm, albeit a less ferocious one. Winter storm Heather came through the state in mid-January, but this time the electricity system held. I spoke to Michael Lee, CEO of Octopus Energy US, which is based in Texas, to find out what has changed. We started by discussing what went wrong in 2021. There were several failures during winter storm Yuri, as we call it, in 2021. Ultimately, it was an abnormally cold event. You know, here in Texas, we're as far south as Florida, and people don't expect Florida to freeze over. So we really don't expect Texas to freeze over either. And when that happened, when we had such a long duration of cold weather and it really didn't leave or warm up for about three to five days. What we saw was how exposed we are to the natural gas system here in Texas. We, we drill a lot of oil and gas, but also those drills and those pipelines are not well winterized. And so as we lost pressure in the natural gas system back in 2021, we had a significant amount of our power plants so reliant on natural gas that those power plants had to turn off because they couldn't have access to fuel. And that turned into a blackout for several days during that event. Since 2021, Texas has improved its power plants and renewable energy production to prevent them freezing over. A boost in renewables has also helped, says Michael. We've done a couple different things. On the power plant side here in Texas, we've winterized all our power plants. So that way, as those natural gas producing power plants produce steam, they don't freeze over since that is such a water intensive process. We've also winterized a lot of the wind turbines because again, those were built not with the full understanding that Texas can experience such cold temperatures. And so we don't normally expect to see wind turbines in the north to freeze over. And a lot of them have installed cold weather packages since that event. Now, the big risk in the system continues to remain the fuel, the natural gas power plants, as we've seen wellheads and pipelines continue to have risk of freezing over and those power plants having to trip offline. Fortunately, over the past two years though, we've built a ton of solar. We've more than doubled our solar production since then. And we've had the least risky hours during any event, whether it's hot or cold outside, to be the hours of the day when solar is most abundant. And we're working with customers to shift their usage into those time periods because that increases the resiliency and reliability of the grid when they do so. One reason for the quick rollout of renewables in Texas is its market-based system. So the unique part about the U.S. is that while we have 50 states and we have a federal system, energy policy is set state by state. And so the electricity markets are also set state by state. Here in Texas, it's a very market-based system, but that same market-based system has allowed for the economics of renewables to really shine, no pun intended. We've built 20 gigawatts of solar over the past handful of years. And as you look at the interconnection queue, we're going to have another 100 gigawatts. That opportunity to see all these solar projects being built also provides a very loud signal 
for customers to move in their demand into those hours. We also have 100% utilization or, or penetration of smart meters throughout Texas. And so that data allows us to be really precise with our customers and ensuring that they're using power at the right times and using the natural market signals here in Texas to reward customers for doing that. Speaking to Foresight, the Electricity Reliability Council of Texas said its grid has continued to perform reliably this winter. There have been no forced rolling outages, otherwise known as blackouts. Meanwhile, any outages experienced during winter storm Heather were localised, caused by downlines or fallen trees. During that storm, the council issued two conservation appeals to relieve the grid. These make a big difference, it told Foresight. In the last two years, voluntary conservation has reduced energy use by approximately 500 megawatts each time. In the last 12 months, Texas has only experienced one grid emergency, and this was due to policy restricting full usage, according to Michael. And not only have there been no blackouts this winter, but the grid has been able to cope with a huge amount of power usage. This past winter, we've had a freezing event that was not quite as cold as Yuri, and it was not as long of a duration. But the total energy usage was way more than what we would have used two years ago had we kept the lights on. And that's because we are going through a manufacturing renaissance here in Texas. We have a lot of large industrial businesses setting up shop. We have data centers coming in. We have millions of people moving to Texas to be part of that very quickly growing economy. And so the energy usage over the past two years has skyrocketed. We have nearly 8% use increase, load growth as we call it, year over year for the past several years in a world where typically energy usage is quite stagnant, maybe one or 2%. And that just kind of shows you while we've been using a whole bunch more power during this past winter storm, we're able to navigate that energy usage because we built so much solar, we're building a lot of batteries as we speak, and we're significantly increasing load flexibility on the grid because of all of that. An increase in tax and electricity consumption is a good thing, says Michael. We see energy usage increasing across the board, and that's quite natural as we think about moving from a molecule-based economy to an electron-based economy. In fact, that should be quite celebrated. We should want to use more electrons because that means we're using less molecules to do the same things. Now, what we need to always do is, yes, increase the amount of power plants, especially renewables, and flexibly manage the usage to conform to when renewables are most abundant, which will be different parts of the time every single day. We also need really good price signals. Fortunately, here in Texas, we have what are called locational marginal pricing, which is just a very wonky term for there's different prices in the state based on where you are located. And if you're located in parts that are heavily congested because everyone else is using power, then that is a different signal to follow versus that other part of the grid where there's too much wind and solar and not enough transmission to move it. And by doing that, we can reward different types of actions to really work with the grid where it's needed the most. The Texan grid is now in a good place, particularly compared to other areas in the US, says Michael. Indeed, it can be used as a case study for good practices. Texas's grid is actually in a really good spot now. I think there's oftentimes a lot of articles about how bad it is, but when I look at the rest of the U.S., there's a lot more emergency conditions that are happening throughout the U.S. that are not as reported on as loudly as Texas. Um, I do see that we are going to be continuing to grow our energy usage, again, in a good way, uh, and we 
are moving as fast as we can interconnecting new projects. That policy actually doesn't need to change. If anything, I use Texas as a representation case for the rest of the U.S. because we're able to do an interconnection study in about 18 months and then another six to 12 months to build. And within a couple of years, you have your project from an idea to steel in the ground. And I think that should be celebrated and that should be replicated in a lot of other places because even in a place like Texas where we are moving as fast as we are, we are now moving into a world of a physics problem. You can only build so many power plants so quickly. And as, at least it's not the studies that are holding us back. It's just finding enough hardware and workers and the execution of building large power plants. And in that gap that we will always be working with between the amount of power that we want to have on the grid and how long it takes to just physically build power plants, demand flexibility will always be the piece that holds everything together. Although each state deals with its own energy, there are similar concerns about outages across the US. The key is flexibility, says Michael. I see very similar themes happening throughout the U.S. I've heard the New York administrator warning whether or not they can keep the lights on in New York City because of all the energy usage growth and how transmission constrained Long Island is and Manhattan is to the rest of the grid. I see a lot of warnings in the Northeast with regards to not having great energy reliability in New England. And I think a lot of the lessons learned is we're going to go through a lot of uncertainty as we do naturally one with weather. And again, it's not just because of renewables. We see uh, natural gas and what we call fossil fuel or thermal power plants to have a lot of uncertainty as far as how they operate. So the best thing we can do to deal with uncertainty is to create agility and to create flexibility because that allows us to have a large suite of tools from a lot of different pockets of the grid to flex up and down based on what that grid actually needs in real time. And that's a very different way of thinking about power plants. Everyone historically has thought about power plants as just focus on the big stuff and forget about the small stuff. But really the pockets of value is going to be all the small stuff and starting with the ground up of how do you use technology to aggregate all these millions of devices and customers to create an even bigger impact than large and sometimes quite unreliable power plants on the grid. So a good news story from Texas, if a lot of work ahead when it comes to ensuring power supply meets demand. Where do you see the biggest challenges in meeting demand with supply? Let us know in the contribution section. That's all we have time for today on The Jolt. Thanks for joining me. Tomorrow, Sam and I will be back to take a look at the week's news. From next week, Tuesday to Thursday's episodes of The Jolt will only be available for our members. Never fear, though, we're giving a month's free access to all the Foresight's reporting. Check the link in the show notes for more details. The Monday and Friday episodes of The Jolt will remain free to listen to. If you're in the mood for more podcasts, the latest episode of What Matters came out yesterday for our members. Lisa Fisher from Climate Think Tank, E3G, joined the team to discuss the challenge of decarbonising in a geopolitically tense world. If you're not a member, you can listen from tomorrow. Thanks to everyone at Foresight for helping make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the job.